Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. Good morning. It's a a real honor to be able to talk to you today. As we begin our Advent series, we have entered into December, so we're going to start recalling the Christmas story. And that might be a bit easier for me, because perhaps you all know it really well. Or that's really tricky, actually, because you know it all really well. Um, So I would need to perhaps bring something new. But I'm hoping that together we will learn a few new things, but really just hear what God was wanting to share with us this morning. So, a bit of background on Mary. Mary um, lived over 2,000 years ago. She um, was born into Nazareth, which is the northern part of Israel. And we can't be sure, but she was between the ages of 12 and 16. She was young. And she was betrothed to Joseph, a man who came from Bethlehem. Now, there isn't much that's said about Mary, but we know that she was a woman and she was Jewish. So what did that mean? So being a female growing up in that time, she would have learnt the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And that, but that is where her education would have stopped, unlike that of the boys. So at that point, she would have learnt how to uh, run a home, be a wife, be a mother, And she would have led quite a sheltered life. If she'd have gone out, she would have covered her head to protect her virtue. Now, it's not really clear about her kind of wealth. How, like, was she from a wealthy family or not? But what we can gather from later on in Luke, after Jesus is born, is that um, when they offer a a sacrifice, which was common to do after the, the birth of a child... They only offered that of two turtle doves rather than the lamb and a turtle dove. So that suggests to me that perhaps they weren't that wealthy. So why have I said all that? Well, that's the context in which Gabriel comes into when he talks to Mary in Luke chapter 1. So we're going to read that together now. So 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. 
How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So it's quite a familiar passage, isn't it? So I just want to draw out a few things that stuck out to me as I was rereading this passage, which kind of varied as I was um, reflecting upon it. And the first thing was the fact that God uses angels. And here we have a, a lovely picture of Mary and, and Gabriel. Um, but it, not just the fact that he used his angels, but the fact that Gabriel is named. But the Bible mentions angels throughout, beginning to the end, but he's only named a few times. That made me quite interested. Why is Gabriel named? So I did a bit of research and found that Gabriel was mentioned three times in the Bible. So he has an encounter with Mary, like we just read. But just before that, he goes to see Zacharias, which is Elizabeth's husband, who has, as we've just read, um, expecting a child, expecting John the Baptist. And their interaction is a bit different. Zacharias doesn't respond in the manner that Mary does. He has a few more questions. In fact, probably too many. Um, Gabriel ends up muting him, and he's not allowed to speak until John is named at his naming ceremony. So he goes to Gabriel, he, uh, he goes to Mary and Zacharias. Now, a few months ago, um, I felt prompted to read the book of Daniel. And I'll be honest, although I read the Bible every day, I don't necessarily read a book in its entirety in one go. I think God was offering me some grace there <laughs> by suggesting it. Um, and I find the, the Old Testament a bit more intimidating um, with the, the language and the, and the context. It's perhaps a bit more, I don't know, intimidating to read. So I read Daniel beginning to end over the week. And um, I was quite amazed in my research to find that Gabriel pops up in Daniel. So that's the third visitation in Daniel. And uh, he comes as a result of Daniel's fasting and prayer and concern for his Jewish nation. He's like, what, what's going to happen to us, Lord? And Gabriel turns up in response. Gabriel delivers a, a long prophetic word to Daniel, and Daniel's very afraid. But what um, he says is that a Messiah is going to come and he will build an everlasting kingdom. So do I think it's a mistake or a coincidence that Gabriel was used in those three incidences? No, I think, I think God has been very deliberate. And I think Luke as well, the author of, of the book, would want his reader to know that prophecy is being fulfilled. Yeah, things that have been said in the Old Testament are coming into reality through the birth of Jesus. So let's go back to Mary and their encounter. 
So the first interaction was when, when Mary encounters Gabriel, she is scared. He doesn't even, that's not even at the point of her receiving the news, just his presence. She is feeling scared, even though he said, you are, you are favoured and God is with you. So why? Earlier on in the chapter, Zacharias talks about what the interaction with Zacharias. The angel is said to have been within God's presence. So the angel isn't separate from God. It's not a, a separate being. When angels arrive, they bring God's presence with them. So I believe that Mary was encountering God's presence. She was experiencing the awe and the fear that being in God's presence can bring out in you. But Gabriel reassures her that she is favoured, that she will be um, giving birth to the Son of the Most High and that his kingdom will never end. Can you see that? Kingdom will never end to Mary in the everlasting kingdom language with Daniel. He repeats what has been said. And I find her response just amazing. It's just one question. One question. How? It's the most practical question, isn't it? <laughs> um, I, but I'm kind of thinking about how I would have reacted. And I probably wouldn't have even asked that question. <laughs> I would have skipped to, everyone's going to hate me. <laughs> uh, like, will Joseph want to get married to me? Will my parents throw me out? Um, will my village end up stoning me? Uh, and then so on and so forth. How will I be able to feed myself? How will I be able to raise this child? And I think probably the angel would have been similar to how he was with Zacharias <laughs> with me. And thank goodness that they decided to go for Mary instead, who had great favor. So why does she respond like that? Because when I've read this before, I think I've thought it was like a question-answer situation. Like, Gabriel's asking her if that's okay. Like, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. Is that okay? And then Mary says, yes, I agree, that can happen. But actually, when I reread it, like that's not what's happening at all here. Gabriel is just telling her what's happening. <laughs> it's going to happen because it's God's will. When God says things are going to happen, it happens. Reminded of a, a few years ago in my own life, and about two to three years ago, God said to me, I'm going to bring you out of hiding. I'm like, okay. <laughs> it wasn't, is that okay? <laughs> you can go and pray about it. <laughs> um, and then here I am, <laughs> at the front, out of hiding. God's, God says something and, and it happens. It will happen. It might take a long time, but it happens. And then, so Mary's response then isn't, yes, I agree, I choose to have this child. It's, in fact, a statement. It's a statement of who she is and who she knows herself to be. 
I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She knew who she was. It's quite countercultural, isn't it? It feels like that, not being given a choice. But the knowing who we know God to be and the fact that he's given us free will, she must have made that choice before that interaction. She had already surrendered her life to God. I think as a result of being part of a Jewish community and recognizing the covenant between God and her people, but also personally. Her heart position had already gone, yeah. I'll humble myself before you, Lord. So when he looked out over his people and had something that he needed them to carry, he could see, ah, Mary, she's, her heart's in the right position. I can give this to you. I can entrust it to you. And Mary would have seen how God had treated her people over the hundreds of, hundreds of years through the stories that had been passed down that he had proven to be faithful, that she, he, she could put her complete and utter trust in him. I think in Mary we see the childlike faith that Jesus comes to talk about in his ministry. So what does this passage mean to us? And uh, I'll be honest, when this question popped in my mind, it felt quite convicting to me. And I want, so I want to ask ourselves this question. Are we placing ourselves in a position of faithful servant like Mary did? ready to receive what God may have to give us, so that, that we can help him write the story that he's writing? Or have we somehow mistaken God as our servant in our lives? I see it like this. Has anyone played the game of life? Yeah. <laughs> it's a fairly well-known, quite easy roll a dice game, um, but essentially it's a game about an average person's life, really. Um, you start off in a car, and you're the peg in the front of the car, and you drive through life. You choose whether to go to university or get a job, and essentially, oh, you get married as well, and you might have children on, along the way. Essentially, you win the game if you have the most money and you can get to Millionaire's Mansion. So bear with me, I'm gonna stretch this game and add a tile in, and I hope that it doesn't sound too callous when I do. But there's a new tile, and it is the Salvation Tile. And you can drive along, you land on it, you spin the wheel, and if you get higher than five, then you are able to add the God Peg into your car. There is an extra hole in the boot, and you're like, great, I've got this white peg now, he's in the car with me. And you get to the end, and you win the game. Automatically, because you have not only earned enough money, but you've leveled up, and you've gone to eternity, you're in heaven. Excellent. And I wonder if 
we kind of live our lives a bit like this. Because it challenged me when God gave me this idea. Are we putting God in the boot? Are we living our lives, following along life's natural paths and asking God to bless the direction of the car we're driving? And perhaps when our life doesn't go to plan, we get a bit frustrated and annoyed with God and feel disillusioned with him and perhaps are like, well, what's the point in following you then? But Mary's position was different. You can see that she didn't think that she could put God in her car. Because when she received her salvation, I believe that she saw a bigger picture. She understood that she was a thread that had been woven into God's tapestry, into his kingdom, rather than when you get saved. God's added into your life? No, we are added into his kingdom. It's the other way around. So am I saying then that the interaction with Mary is just, uh, you're doing this, and there's like little relationship, or God just wants us to do what he says. Is that, is that what I'm saying? I think that perhaps we need to become less and he needs to become greater, for sure. (laughs) We need to understand who he is. We need to humble ourselves before him. But we need to remind ourselves of the story that he's been writing for thousands of years because it's all about him. And yet he made it all about us. (laughs) John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So everything up to the interaction with Mary and Gabriel had been woven together, been orchestrated from the moment in the garden when he told the devil what was going to happen, that he had a plan. He used faithful people. He's woven together genealogy. He's spoken to prophets through Isaiah, through Daniel. This is going to be my plan. All of this up to this moment because he wanted us not to perish because it's all about him and yet he made it all about us coming back to him you see God's story continues doesn't it it hasn't finished we're only part way through and there are moments that need to happen in order for his story to continue to be written. And uh, we can read in Revelation that there was a prophetic word like there was in the Old Testament that has yet to be fulfilled. So how do we respond? How do we respond? If we look at the tapestry, 
I just see lots of threads that haven't been woven in yet, that are waiting to be woven in. Are we going to help God weave those threads, the lives of people who are yet to know him, into that tapestry? How are our hearts? Are they turned towards him, open-hearted, open-handed, saying, yes, I surrender to you. Whatever it is that you want me to do, that doesn't need to be big. It doesn't need to be like giving birth to the Son of God. It just needs to be in obedience. So that when God looks out at his people, he can see, okay, I, I can trust you to carry my glory can trust you to carry and help me write the story that I've been writing so that people get to know me and so that Jesus can come back. So will we respond with questions like Zacharias and myself or will we respond in servanthood like Mary did? Do we have the faith and the servant heart that he is looking for? Can we let him flip the board of our lives? I'm just going to um, finish with watching this section of film. And it's from um, the Christmas episode of The Chosen. So it's fictional. We don't know if this interaction actually took place. Just going to need a light for a little bit longer. Sorry. But it's a conversation here between Mary, mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene. And it's post Jesus' life. And they are wanting to write down and record everything to be given to Luke. And I just want you to notice how. Mary's manner as she recalls the song that she sung when she was with Elizabeth. I told Luke about the journey to Bethlehem and about how we couldn't get a room at the inn, but... um, I didn't tell him about my son. Your son? When I went to see my cousin Elizabeth, when she was pregnant with John, she cried out when she saw me. I told Luke about this, how she was overwhelmed for the both of us. And she called me the mother of her Lord. And we were laughing and crying together. And... It was all too much, and words of praise just burst out of me. Please tell me I'm about to hear them. You're going to write them down and deliver them to Luke. (sighs) The materials are here. I trust you to get them right and to keep it safe. 
and to get it to look. I've kept it all to myself. As you know, I like to treasure things in my heart. <laughs> I was shy and it felt personal between God and me. But I wish I would have shared it with Joseph. And people must know, these felt like God's words as much as my own. I can't explain it, but they did. And people must know. Rejoices in God, my Savior. For behold, from now on, generations will call me blessed. And he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. Generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their throne and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. song of Hannah, but even more beautiful. Are you better? Is this comfortable? None of us will be asked to do what Mary did here. But what I love about this interaction is that, that Mary didn't stop 
at giving birth, did she? She had to then become a disciple herself, and she didn't know what God was asking her to do. And then she was one of the members of the early church. <laughs> she was a church planter, like the rest of us. <laughs> and But it's just through simple obedience, like sharing, even just sharing what's happened, that that's helping to write God's story. It doesn't have to be big. It's just the little things. God, what is it today that you want me to do? It might be a simple smile at someone across the street. A kindness, or even just, I want you to spend time with me today, Catherine. So it's those simple obediences is what has helped God write his story from the beginning and what's going to help him continue to see it to come into full fruition with Jesus coming back. So do you want to be a co-laborer with Christ? Do you want to help God to finish writing his story? We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarranty.com.